grab a Bible, we're going to have a look at um, that verse, John 3.16, in its context. Um, so if you have a Bible with you, turn up John chapter 3. And uh, Mum's going to come and read that passage to us um, before we hear from God's word. Thank you. It's Gospel of John chapter 3 and beginning at verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. You'll have heard the expression, like father, like son, will it? works the other way as well. Like son, like father, I'm not wearing a jacket. Let's pray together and ask for God's help. Our loving Heavenly Father, thank you for this Bible passage. And we pray that you would give us humble and obedient hearts as we think about it together. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
Well, it is uh, lovely to be with you here in Long Crendon. As I said, we come from Devon. And within hours of leaving it, I miss it. In Devon, we have the red sandstone and the deep red soil and then Dartmoor with the heather and the tors and then the coast paths with the rugged walks and the lighthouses. And of course, if you happen to be one of those people who loves lighthouses, there are certain words you need to know. You need to know daymark. That is the colour and the pattern which makes a particular lighthouse quite distinctive. And that's just the bit of jargon that you use to describe it. Or you need to know the word focal plane, the narrow beam which is emitted from the main optic. Or the arc of visibility, that portion of the horizon which can see the light from the seaward side. You see, those words are important. What about these words? 4G, OS, Edge, App, Bluetooth, RAM, ROM, SIM. What do they mean to you? Probably a smartphone. When I hear all those words, it means to me confusion and frustration. But there are words that help. And here in John's Gospel, and in our passage, there are some need-to-know words, which if we get right in the first place, will help us steer through the passage. So here's the first word. It's the word darkness. It comes in verse 19 of the passage. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light. Now in the Bible, darkness is always ignorance of God. How strange that some people love to be ignorant. I didn't think anyone would like that. And then light, again in the same verse. Well, that's going to be the opposite, isn't it? Not ignorance of God, but knowledge of God. And the word world, which comes in verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but also in our 316 verse. The word world is um, the people and those who have decided that they will ignore God. The world equals people who have decided to reject the knowledge of God. And then in contrast, we have in the passage the word kingdom. And of course, that is the opposite of the world. Not the people who reject the knowledge of God, but the people who acknowledge the lordship of Jesus. Now, it just helps to know those key words. So then we can run through the passage more easily. Darkness, ignorance of God, light, knowledge of God, world, those who reject the knowledge and kingdom, those who accept the lordship of Jesus. Well, John 3.16 is, in many ways, a very familiar verse. I think most hands did go up. Yet not so much today, perhaps here in this meeting this morning, but the Bible knowledge in our country as a whole is at a very low ebb indeed. There was a uh, mastermind contest and the uh, question was asked, 
What are the first words in the Bible? And clearly the contestant did not know the answer. He did not know that the first words in the Bible are, in the beginning God. So he guessed at what he thought the first words were. And he said very confidently, the first words in the Bible are, hello, how nice to meet you. Well, actually, it's not a bad answer, is it? Because the Bible is about God introducing himself and wanting to meet us and wanting to have a relationship with us. The Bible is God introducing himself and the story of the Bible is really summarized in our John 3.16 verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now quite rightly we understand that this verse speaks of God's love. But it's much more than that. This verse speaks of the greatness of God's love. Not just about his love, but of the greatness of God's love. The verse gives us a measure of how great his love is. Mummy, I love you, all the washing machines in the world, says a small child, or whatever. That's a very impressive measure of love. How does John 3.16 measure the greatness of God's love? Well, first of all, God's love is great because of its costly nature. God gave his one and only son. But of course, God is a giving God, Hello, how nice to meet you. Let me share with you everything which has been in my life. And God gave the creation. As wonderful as it is, he gave the garden a place of beauty, security, freedom. He gave the command. He gave to each in that garden a partner. And he gave them fulfilling work. And then God in the scriptures goes on giving He gives the promises, he gives the law, he gives the prophets, he gives the wisdom writers. And then the Father gives his best. His one and only Son. There's the stress upon the greatness of the gift. And the Son was not gift-wrapped, neat and tidy. He was given to be lifted up on the stake to become sin and sin's sacrifice. Just as Moses, verse 14, lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. God so loved the world. Here, we're not meant to admire God's love, Because the world is so big. We're not meant to admire God's love because there are so many people in that world. We're meant to admire God's love because the world is so bad. Yet even so, God loves it. Remember our key word? World equals the people who reject 
the knowledge of God. How amazing. Loving those who have willfully turned their back against him and rejected his loving rule. It is so amazing. Romans 5 uses a string of words to describe those whom God so loves. He speaks of the ungodly, of the weak, of the sinners, of the enemies of God. That's the greatness of God's love. I'm sure you will have noticed the sandwiched position of our verse, verse 16. Sandwiched between 14 and 15, and of course, 17. And in those sandwich verses, in the slices, we have both the incarnation of Jesus, for God sent the Son into the world, and also the death of Jesus on the cross. And then this verse, 16, comes in the middle. God's great love is shown in the mission of the Son on earth. His ultimate purpose being the salvation of the world so that we might enter into, second key word, the kingdom of God. As Paul puts it in Colossians, transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. God's love is great because of its costly nature. He gave his very best. He gave his son. Secondly, God's love is great because of its urgent necessity. Without the sending of the Son, without the great love, many will perish. The sending of the Son is the answer and the only answer to that. Whoever believes in the Son shall not perish. So we measure God's love by the reversal of the terrible consequences of unbelief and rebellion. And God's love declares to us this morning, says to us, believe in Jesus. Be born again. Choose life and not death. Be saved. Do not perish. I mean, no father would want that for his son. Now, my son, Mark, he has had a few scrapes in his life, a few near misses. I remember when he was uh, attempting and succeeded running the 20 Snowdonia peaks in 24 hours. His plan was to come off Kripgok at night and hope to get down alive. It's a very difficult bit of mountain in at night time. And when I knew it was about time for him to start coming down, and probably they had missed the route because it was so dark, I had that feeling inside me, is this going to be the last time he does such adventure? Will he perish? And the father's insides begin to churn a bit for the son. But such emotion as that was nothing compared to a much more serious episode when I really thought that death could be quite close. 
And I remember saying within myself, no. No, it can't happen like this here, now. And the heart of the human father reaches out and says, you will not perish. I don't want that to happen. It is but a shadow of the heavenly father's heart reaching out to a world which he knows will perish without his salvation. Let me tell you a story. The story is set in Japan and begins with two childhood friends becoming lovers. The unfolding flower of love opens and then blooms. And the story starts in a garden when the two are young and ends in winter on a steep mountain railway pass called Shiakara Pass. Nabuo was travelling to the engagement party by train over this pass. He was going to be with his intended bride, Fujiko. Towards the top of the mountain pass, the train slowed and lurched to a stop. A coupling broke and the last coach started to roll backwards. An alarm spread through the many, many passengers and the coach was gathering speed and the snow-covered trees which they'd seen before they were now seeing again as they sped past them in the other direction. Now, Bureau prayed and an exciting thought came to him. He remembered that outside the coach, at the back, there was a manual handbrake. So he ran to it and he pounced on the icy brake, exerting all his strength and he managed to apply the brake and the coach slowed down. It was vital to stop the coach completely but he couldn't force it down that last bit and without the coach stopping completely it could regather speed again. Nobio reached a swift decision. His hand left the brake and he jumped down, aiming for the rails. And the coach finally stopped as it rolled over Nobuo's body. One man died for the many. And it's the true story which is told in this book published by OMF, Shiakara Pass. It is such a graphic, powerful, emotional story But it's a small story and it is for us an illustration which speaks of the much much bigger and the greater story of the Father's love shown in the mission of the Son so that they shall not perish. But thirdly, God's great love is shown in his final objective. In our verse 316, so that they might have eternal life. Those five contributors this morning, brilliant, wonderful to hear the gospel in many different languages. I don't think I have mastered any other language. In fact, I haven't really mastered English yet. I run important letters past my wife for grammar and then pass my daughter, Rosie, for linguistic analysis. 
That was her subject at university together with French. Now John 3.16 is a really interesting verse linguistically because the main verb gave is written in the indicative, not the infinitive. Now are you impressed with that? I got it straight out of a Bible commentary. But I do understand what it means. You see, the verse is not just giving us a thought about what God gave, expressing the notion in a verb. It's telling us that the Father's love and action will result in a certain consequence, the indicative sense that we will not perish, but that we will have eternal life. I mean, it's good, isn't it? It's worth knowing a bit of English grammar, if only for that. It's not just that God gave his son, though we might think that is incredible. It's that God gave his son so that, with the result that, we would have eternal life. The whole force of the sentence, 316, is about the outcome. Now, I like good outcomes. I expect you do as well. England beating Fiji in the Olympic Sevens, that would have been a a wonderful outcome. But actually, Fiji getting their first medal of any kind at the Olympics was the right outcome. And what about the refugee team? Good outcomes there. Mo Farah last night. That's a good outcome. Good outcomes are better than bad outcomes. I'd rather win than lose. I'd rather be in the know rather than living in the darkness of ignorance. Rather be loved than ignored. Rather live than perish. Rather be forgiven than condemned. And of course it can be so for all of us. In the wider passage as it was read in verse 5, whoever is born again can enter the kingdom of God. Verse 18, whoever believes in Jesus will not be condemned. Verse 21, whoever lives the truth will come into the light. Now these are good outcomes. And they can all be true for us. The measure of God's love shown in the gift of eternal life. And what will eternal life be like? Well, we'll have that eternal life in the new heaven and the new earth. We will not be floating spirits, but we will be embodied. We will have a resurrection deluxe model. On one of my Central Asian teaching trips, I just decided to give the trip over to the subject of eternal life. So when I wasn't teaching or traveling, I would try to read, study, think, pray. And one of the illustrations that I wrote down for myself was this, trying to grasp what eternal life was going to be like. I did it this way. I thought of the very best year of my life. I can name that. It was the academic year, 1994-95. 
It was full of richness. It was full of fun. There were many great challenges, both physically and spiritually. Great progress was made, terrific relationships. It was close to the most perfect year. It was wonderful. And I've often thought back and thought, can I have that again? That was so good. Just another year like that. And then, of course, when we begin to think as God thinks, I say to myself, that was but a dress rehearsal. That wasn't the very best at all. It was but preparing me for something so much greater. Imagine what that year would be like in a resurrection body with vast capacities, endless energy to climb the mountains, people to enjoy, new things to explore, and that personal encounter with Jesus. Living in a place finally free from injustice, frustrations, and limitations. Pretty good, don't you think? That is the eternal life. So we have in front of us a verse, John 3.16. It speaks of God's love, but more than that, it speaks of the greatness of God's love. Shown in its costly nature, his one and only Son. Shown in its urgent necessity, so we will not perish. And then in its marvellous final objective, that we might enjoy eternal life.